I'm your host, Laura Lowen, former therapist, go-getter entrepreneur, future church planter, and throwback hip-hop lover. I want to help you implement practical steps on how to live out the abundant life. Listen in on stories of faith, hope, and inspiration as we pursue the abundant, fruitful life together. If you're ready to get cracking on personal and spiritual growth and have some fun while doing so, you're in the right place. Hey friends, what is up? Laura here, and we got episode five for you. We are talking to one of my husband and my friends, Jeff Pollan, and you guys are going to love this. The flavor of this episode is one that I think is inspiring, and I think is really just going to help any of you that have been through something that is difficult. If you have ever walked through a difficult season, hi, we can all raise our hands, right? Or if you're walking through a challenging season where you're trying to navigate forgiving someone or forgiving a group of people and what does it look like to trust God and acknowledge that he is good and forgive and not be bitter. You're going to love this. You're going to get a ton out of this episode. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you for being here in doing this podcast. I just, I really want people to hear stories that they might not otherwise hear and just really testimonies of God's goodness. And just the time I've spent with you and even different bits and pieces of things that Jason has told me over the years, kind of about you, about your testimony, about your story. It is truly amazing because I feel like God's faithfulness to you and his work and power in your life is so incredible that I really think we could almost do like five podcast episodes here. But your, your listeners may not agree. <laughs> the jury's still out, folks. Okay. I was wondering if you could kind of clue in the listeners. What exactly is it that you do for a living? <laughs> yeah. So I'm a full time musicianary. So Love um, it. I have a Jeff Pullen music ministry that was started in 2006. And it was really only just kind of a side ministry uh, because from 2006 through 2016, I was a youth pastor and a music director at a church. But it kind of evolved throughout the years. And it just started with simple singing and speaking. So I would go to different events or churches or, or whatever and either lead worship or perform songs. And then I would speak at youth retreats and conferences and preaching in churches and such uh, and then one of the things that I found as I was going around doing this is that a lot of churches or venues had really, really terrible sound systems, hmm. which was very distracting. Yeah. So uh, I right. started to actually assemble my own sound system so that when I would go somewhere, if they didn't have what, what seemed to be working, uh, then I would just provide my own, which was really kind of cool. And it just started off uh, with a small two speakers and a mixing board. Cause actually at the time I was also doing house concerts. So I would travel around and just set up this little sound system. And uh, from two speakers and a mixing board to years later, I mean, we have like over a hundred thousand dollars worth of sound equipment that we travel around with to put on major events, which is kind of hilarious. So that was the second component then seeing as speaking being the first component. Second component was a sound system. And then years later we started recording our own stuff and the first time that I went to record our first album 
it ended up costing us twenty five thousand dollars. What? A lot of money. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah, it was not cheap. So the second time we thought, well, we'll see if we can't cut some corners here and there and do a little bit here and there, and, and it ended up costing us only twenty five thousand dollars. So oh. <laughs> I was sensing a theme. <laughs> And uh, decided that, you know, that's obviously not a sustainable model for anybody. Right. And, and I've been recording. I've been dabbling with recording anyway since I was like eight years old, starting with little four-track cassette tapes. And mm-hmm. So I started, you know, I know a little bit about something. And so ended up going to recording school during a sabbatical from the church and learned how to professionally record music. And so now a third component of the Jeff Pohl Music Ministry is that we actually have our own recording studio where we record our own material and we also bring in Christian artists who have a great story to tell, but they don't necessarily have the means to tell it. And the the price has gone from $25,000 to $2,500, hmm. which is so much better, so much more sustainable. Yeah. And uh, so that's the third component is the recording studio. And since then I've also become a trainer with Dare to Share Ministries, with Sun Life Ministries. I train worship teams, I train youth pastors. And so the fourth component has been training and resources. I even have been uh, writing books. My very first book came out in 2017. It's a children's book, a little baseball parable called The Greatest Sacrifice that tells the story of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And through, it's, uh, which is awesome, by the way. And my kids <laughs> loved it. Awesome. And I have a new book coming out this year that's actually going to be professionally published, which is pretty fun. Uh, and right now the title is Weekly Worship Thoughts, but it's a 52-chapter, kind of a devotional for worship teams and for musicians to really dig deeper in what is worship, how do we do it skillfully, and stuff like that. So anyway, that's what I do. I uh, have the Jeff Pullen Music Ministry that we operate, and there's the four components, the singing and speaking, the sound and lighting, the recording studio, and training and resources. So, so pretty much you're sitting at home a lot, watching a lot of TV is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> right. You're just like, you're just not really doing much of anything. <laughs> so that's, that's great, Jeff. That's great. So how much travel does that look like for you? Like on, on average? Yeah. So uh, the interesting thing about this ministry is that there is quite a bit of travel, but at the same time, it comes in seasons. So I spend most of the winter at home, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where we really strategically, we start recording our own record through the winter, and then try to release it at the beginning of summer, because I spend most of the summer then traveling. It hasn't been so bad so far this year, but here real soon, I will spend several weeks uh, on the road. So okay. we're going to be leading worship at Lead the Cause, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Austin, Texas. I'll spend a week at a camp in Michigan. Uh, I'll spend a week leading worship and teaching at a camp in Wisconsin. Uh, So we do have some different things that are going on. And then I'm also right now, I'm doing this thing with a NASCAR organization called Victory Weekend, where we actually show up and and, uh, I play old kind of country songs and classic rock songs like Sweet Home Alabama and stuff like that. Yeah. And then... Uh, somebody stands up and shares the gospel. Oh, uh, I love it. 
it's really effective. It's a really cool ministry. Wow. So, you know, if we if we played church songs, no one would show up. Yep. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> that everybody loves, and they get to hear the gospel, Aww. and then they want to talk to us afterwards. And so we're always, you know, trying to point to Jesus. That, that is an amazing, amazing ministry opportunity. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I am the last girl interested in car racing, but I am down for anything where people can hear about Jesus. So that is incredible. Very cool. Well, I know this about you, that you didn't always just focus on music. You were also a youth pastor for years, right? Yep. Yeah, how many years was that for you? So my wife and I were actually YWAMers in okay. 2005. Okay. And uh, we were missionaries in Turkey and in Egypt. And mm-hmm. we had opened up a map of the world and said, God, where do you want us to go? We will go absolutely everywhere as long as it's China or France. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, God didn't send us to either of those locations. Mm-hmm. He told us to go home. Yeah. And we cried and we obeyed. Mm. And we went around to a bunch of different churches basically trying to raise awareness of missions because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Mm-hmm. And at one church we were at, uh, somebody came up to us afterwards and said, hey, we would love for you to be the youth pastor. And I said, yeah, that's not going to happen. Thanks for asking. <laughs> and <laughs> it was actually a long time later. God led us through this this whole really time we were uh helping the youth at the church we were plugged into but we honestly expected any day god is gonna say okay you're ready i want you to go to china i want you to go to france one of those two we're just ready for either one of those and we were trying to be faithful until then so we were working with youth partly because i didn't grow up in the church and i was uh thinking this is amazing if somebody would have shared the gospel with me when I was a high schooler, right. that would have changed my whole life. Yeah, uh, I didn't hear about Jesus really until I was 21. Mm-hmm. And so we were helping out the youth group there and the youth pastor quit. He said that he was moving on and he had only been there for something like 18 months and my heart broke. So I was praying for God to raise up a youth pastor for our church. And while I was praying, I felt like God spoke to me and said, I want you to apply for the job. And I said, no, Lord, anything but that. <laughs> and uh, he said, don't worry, you're not going to get the job. And I was like, oh, okay, that's easy enough then. So I did. I applied. And uh, like I said, we had done this uh, this presentation at a church about 10 minutes from our house. And they had asked me to become a youth pastor. I said, no way. Now our church lost their youth pastor. I applied for the position. What in the world was I doing applying for the position? I didn't want it. And we ended up having five different people apply for the position. One of the guys actually personally tapped on the shoulder. I said, you would be perfect for this. Please apply. He did. And these five candidates got whittled down to just two candidates, me and the other guy. So then, you know, at the, at the very end, uh, they said, do you have any final questions or any final thoughts? And I said, well, you know, I already know I'm not going to get the job. So I think if there's anything here that was helpful, please pass it on to the guy who is going to get the job. And all their jaws just dropped. Like, What? And well, I already know I'm not going to get the job. I'm fine with that. But, you know, if there's anything good here, please pass it on. And afterwards, one of the guys from the youth pastor search committee came over to my house. He's a friend of mine. He said, how did you know you were not going to get the job? And I was like, well, God told me. But anyway, I didn't get the job. And that was fantastic. But then the original church had contacted me again. And something happened in my heart. Things had changed. God, sometimes God is like, you know, an ambusher. He mm-hmm. kind of sets you up 
to just learn something that you weren't going to learn any other way. Oh, yes. I know this. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But suddenly my heart was broken because here I was at a church that had five candidates for youth pastor. And throughout the months that this search went on, the original church had zero candidates for yeah. youth pastor. Yeah. And that seemed like an injustice to me. So I told them, I said, hey, here's the deed. I will be willing to, but honestly, God's going to set us overseas any day. And so I can't guarantee it'll be more than six months. And they'll say, and they say well, we'll take whatever we can get. And they hired me. And uh, I said I'd be there for at least six months. And I ended up being 10 years. Hmm. And I just, God, again, changed my heart and absolutely loved being a youth pastor. I loved helping to shape the direction of the lives of these kids, to help them grow in their affection for Jesus, to help them grow in their understanding of who he is. I loved being a father to the fatherless, you know, especially those kids whose parents didn't go to church. I loved equipping students and actually giving them the permission to go out and share the gospel themselves and then watch them just come back with incredible joy as their friends had their eternity changed hmm. because somebody was brave enough, somebody was willing enough, someone loved them enough to share the gospel with them. So it was an absolute joy of my life to be a youth pastor for mm -hmm. 10 years. Yeah. that And that's so fun to hear because I did not know those little portions of your story, which is, it's just so fun. I, I love it how God works and how you can see similar threads in everyone's life who's following the Lord. And yeah, obviously he has like a different journey for all of us. So that was super fun to learn. And what I love seriously so much about you, Jeff, is that your integrity, because I know a, a bit about your journey with being a youth pastor and things like that. And you could have chosen to share things and feel a lot of different ways. And just the fact that you're able to focus on what God did and who he is and really the positive through all of it, I think is amazing. And so kind of in that without getting into too much, but with some, I would say, at least from my perspective and what I would have felt, maybe major disappointments for your family. I just wanted to hear kind of how did you feel like your relationship with the Lord had to be prior to the shift in your job and maybe coming up to some of those disappointments that you could even get through it? Yeah, well, you know, God is just incredibly good and that's true all the time. The only question is whether we're willing to recognize it or not, hmm. because uh, God's always working and uh, Satan's always working. And we, we are constantly in this battle of deciding who's going to get our attention. Mm -hmm. Are we going to focus on what God's doing? Or are we going to focus on what Satan's doing? Yeah, I love that. And God was preparing us in ways, as he always does, but he was preparing us in ways that we didn't understand. Can I tell you a terrible joke? Yes, please do. That'd be okay. phenomenal. <laughs> this, is my, this is my favorite joke, and it's not because it's funny. Okay. It's because of what you learn from it. And so the joke goes like this. There was a Mennonite and a Baptist and a YWAMer who all died. Okay. And they wound up in hell. Okay. And so the Mennonite uh, said, I can't believe this. I worked my whole life serving God. If mm. I would have known that I was going to go to hell, I would have definitely danced while I was alive. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, 
know, the Baptist says, oh, this is terrible. I can't believe this. If I had known this, I would have drank all my life. And then the Mennonite, or I'm sorry, and then the Y-whammer, he just gets on his knees and he says, Lord, I realize that I'm in hell. What are you trying to teach me through this? Again, not a funny joke. Right. But it's amazingly true Hmm. because... God's been incredibly good to me, mostly because he taught me a long time ago and continues to teach me that I am a disciple first. And what is a disciple? It's a student. It's a learner, right? And God is constantly teaching us. Mm-hmm. And when we went on our sabbatical, I would—I didn't put this together at the time. But in 2015, when I was on my sabbatical and I went to learn how to professionally record music. Uh, there was this moment at the very beginning of it, we were going around the school and we were just asking, why are you here? And uh, everybody said, well, I'm here because I want to do this and I want to do that. I want to be this. Then it got to my turn. And, you know, this is our first, like, this is our introductory. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? I'm going guns blazed. So when it was my turn, I said, I am here because there's a lot of, Christian music that's just plain not recorded well, and I want to record music that will glorify God and will point to Jesus. <laughs> Everybody in the room's like, "Who is this fruitcake?" Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, immediately I've got this Bible thumper target on my back, which right. is not what I wanted to do. But at the same mm-hmm. time, like I did, that was why I was there, and it was fascinating because that whole time then, like. You know, people would make a bunch of jokes towards me because I'm the, you know, I'm the Christian in the room, and they they put me in a group uh, with people whose lifestyles uh, were challenging, and it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. I made really really good friends and had some incredible conversations about Jesus, and people were like, "Well, you're not like I expected you to be." There was something amazing about this because I felt like. That time was so important to me because I learned who I am when I'm not a pastor. Hmm. And like before, when you meet somebody and they're like, hey, what do you do for a living? You're like, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, my goodness. Everything changes. Yeah. Like, okay, that's the end of that fun conversation. Yeah. And, you know, here I was kind of like Daniel in Babylon. Like, I want to maintain my integrity, but I'm here just like everybody else is. I'm not a pastor. I'm just me. I'm just a child of God. I'm just a follower of Jesus. I'm just somebody who loves Jesus. Mm-hmm. And God used that season to teach me things that I didn't even realize were going to be so powerful until a year later. And about May of 2016, things at the church just went sideways. And I can't even explain how in the world this happened, I still don't understand. I mean, again, Satan's always working, and he wants to divide, and he wants to, you know, mess things up. But we were, as a youth group, we were advancing the gospel, and we were seeing people come to our uh, our youth group who didn't know Jesus, and they had lived lives that reflected the fact they didn't know Jesus. <laughs> and this was making things awkward. Now, I thought it was making things awesome. Like, <laughs> right. Like, this is like going to Matthew's house, right? Hanging out with sinners, and it's awesome. Yeah. And people are hearing about Jesus. And, uh, you know, 
just like in Jesus' day, the religious leaders weren't all that impressed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the church leaders aren't really all that impressed yeah. because they want things to be safe. They want mm-hmm. things to be how they always were. And uh, unfortunately, too many times our youth groups are really, you know, just kind of a babysitter's club to help people get from, you know, grade school to, to college without mm-hmm. making any major mistakes. <laughs> right. And in my opinion, that is a major mistake mm-hmm. because that time frame is amazing for reaching out and sharing the gospel with friends. Yeah, it is. And so that's what we were doing. And man, it rocked the boat. And in May, the elders, the leaders of the church basically turned against me is the only way that I can explain it. Right. I saw some really great people whom I admired and respect really make some really dumb decisions. And for me, I'm just sitting here. I'm I'm walking through all these crazy uh, meetings with them. And I'm like, who are you? Hmm. What in the world is happening? I mean, these meetings, basically, I'm sitting through like, you know, hours of a firing squad where they basically put a, a chair in the room for me to sit in. And then they all sit on the other side of the room and for two hours, tell me everything they don't like about me. Mm, gosh. And it was just the strangest thing that I had ever experienced. But in my mind, like what we were doing in the youth group and reaching the lost and really advancing the gospel, that was what the church was supposed to be doing, period. Mm-hmm. And so my prayer had been, God, can you make that happen in our whole church? Not just in the youth group. I want to see that happen in our whole church. I don't want to just see teenagers reaching out to teenagers, but what about adults reaching out to adults? Mm-hmm. And I realized like, that's not going to just happen without some kind of difficulty. And sometimes things have to get worse before they can get better. Yep. And so I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm going through these crazy meetings and I'm thinking maybe it's happening. Maybe this is the difficult season that we have to walk through so that we can get to the other side of it. And we're really going to be doing what God is asking us to do. I was just praying and asking God, God, what, what would you have me do here? And I remember thinking, You know, I never fought or scratched or clawed to become a youth pastor. I'm certainly not going to do that to stay a youth pastor. Hmm. And so, and meanwhile, we're having amazing stuff continue to happen in the youth group. And I had seven days full of just meetings of people sitting down and telling me all the things that they don't like about me. Hmm. It was brutal. And... It was crazy. I was just blindsided by this. Every meeting basically went the same. And I don't know what was going on here, but it was like they were just pulling for anything they could find and just reaching back to the recesses of time. Basically, uh, the mediation team sat down and said, okay, we've got uh, five problems here at the church uh, that we were able to locate. And one of them is going to be Jeff. And then the second thing is... The senior pastor is not being a senior pastor right now. That's a problem. The third thing is the elder board is full of bitterness. Like they're bringing up stuff from nine years ago. This is not okay. Yeah. The board is just expectations are not even clearly laid out. So no matter what happens, you just say, well, you didn't meet my expectations, even though those expectations have never been communicated. 
And then the last thing is that your whole basically church constitution isn't actually allowing Jeff to do the kind of ministry that you say he needs to be doing. So those things all have to be addressed. And this is where the story gets really crazy. So I'm sitting here and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So I'm like 20% of the problem. Like I need to do 20% of the work here. But what they heard was Jeff is 100% of the problem. Hmm. So they told me that I needed to apologize for the ways that I had been acting throughout the year or throughout the years of my, my whole time there. And I'm like, really? That's what needs to happen? Like, yep, we need a public apology. And I'm like, that sounds like a, a really bad idea for multiple reasons. So, you know, I'm praying and I'm sitting here thinking, oh, okay, I do not want my pride to get in the way. I mean, who wants to make a public apology? Nobody. Right. right? But at the same time, if that's what they think is going to fix this problem, I'm willing to submit to that. I'm willing to do it. So let's let's go for it. So I write out a, a public apology. So I gave it to the senior pastor, and he said, man, this is perfect. I gave it to uh, a relationship coach that they had assigned to me. He's like, yeah, this is great. And so I stood up on a Sunday morning in front of the church, and I issued this public apology. And afterwards, you should have seen the faces of people. They're like, what is happening right now? Yeah, I bet. It was awkward. Uh, And then I had several elders come up and shake my hand and say, that was great. And the very next day, the senior pastor called me into his office, and he said, what you did yesterday was so damaging to the church. Oh, my gosh. no way that we could possibly move forward from this point. Oh, wow. (laughs) Like, what? And the next thing I hear from them is, we want your resignation uh, within 24 hours. Mm. I don't have an explanation for any of that. But that's what we walked through. And what I am incredibly thankful for is that in 2015, when we uh, were on our sabbatical, and I was able to find out who I was when I wasn't a youth pastor, right? That's who I was again. Mm. And so I'm no longer a youth pastor. You know, I'm uh, basically run off from the from the church, which sadly, my story is not all that unique. Yeah. You know, I hear this I story all the time. What, I know. What is wrong with these guys? There is a better way and we serve a better savior mm. than that. Yes, we uh, do. And it, and it destroyed the church. Mm-hmm. You can't recover from that very well, but that's just, that's just the way it went. So we as a family had to regroup. Uh, <laughs> and you and you and Jason were awesome during that time. I remember calling uh, Jason up and, and flying out to Denver and just hanging out with you guys as we processed, God, what are you doing? What's next? And uh, God was faithful, and we felt like this this music ministry that we had started in 2006 and had dabbled with on the side felt like God was creating space for us to run at it full time. And so that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazingly, we got to 100% of the support we needed within 100 days. Yeah, that is that is a miracle. Like for anyone listening who maybe isn't super familiar with support raising and, you know, raising funds for missionary. I mean, that's, that is unheard of. That's unbelievable. Totally a God thing. Yeah, that's for sure. But, you know, the really the story, in my opinion, 
is a story of a good God who is constantly leading, constantly providing, constantly preparing, and a moron named Jeff <laughs> who was basically only good at one thing, and that was trying to listen and obey. Hmm. I mean, and first of all, just thank you for sharing that story. I I appreciate it, but I think a lot of people will just, you know, with your transparency and just sharing even a, a bigger picture of it so they could truly know kind of the, the depths to, I think, a lot of emotions that a lot of us would experience and go through and kind of the back and forth of, I guess, the insanity of it all. <laughs> um, but I, I just love that, though, and just, yeah, just wanting to hear from God and how important that is. So I was I was wondering with that, for anyone listening who kind of feels like they've gone through something, maybe it's recent, maybe it was a while ago, that was a bit of a betrayal, you know, and they're, they're really fighting through not wanting to be bitter and not wanting to hang on to things. What would be your advice for them? Yeah, you know, that's a really hard question. I think I'm doing well with that. I sure hope so. But the hardest part for us, you know, with us not bringing our kids into that journey, because we didn't want them to have bad feelings towards people who were just acting uncharacteristically. Obviously, once I'm asked to resign, well, there has to be some sort of an explanation for why we're not going to church there anymore. Right. And the hardest thing for us was when we had to sit our kids down and we had to explain that I'm not a youth pastor anymore. We're not going to church there anymore. And when we did that, we sat them down and I had them uh, just open up scripture. Mm. And we looked together. We actually have this, this plaque that is hanging above our closet that says, cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. We looked up this uh, Psalm 55 and just looked at what, King David was going through and you know, King David in this psalm, he's looking out and he sees all this injustice in the world and but then he says, But that's not the injustice I'm talking about. The injustice I'm talking about is happening right here within the city walls. It's happening right here within my own castle, my own friend who has betrayed me. And we told our kids that, you know, that's that's actually what we're dealing with right now. And I told them that uh, we had been asked to resign and they're just weeping. Because yeah, actually, I started at that church on the day that my oldest daughter was born. Oh, so this is literally wow. all they know their yeah. whole life. Wow. Yeah. And and these are people that we've hung out with, that we've done life with, that we've done ministry with, that we've respected. And uh, we told them, uh, because I, I remember my oldest daughter, I mean, with tears in her eyes, she's weeping. She said, Daddy, what are we going to do? Hmm. And I said, we're going to do the same thing that we always do. And I pointed up that plaque and I said, we're going to cast our cares on the Lord because he will sustain us. And so, we, you know, this is kind of unique to, to us and our family, maybe. But I pulled out a guitar and we worshiped Jesus. And I think maybe that's the key is that we worship. Yeah. 
we just worship Jesus. Mm. And I, I can't imagine how Jesus must have felt, you know, betrayed, obviously, by his disciples. That's that's an obvious one, right? Like he's poured his life into these guys, and now they're kind of abandoning him and leaving him go. But I think sometimes we forget he's actually the creator of every single person, mm. who, even the guys who are driving the nails in his hands. Yeah. He created them. Yeah. He, he formed them mm-hmm. in their mother's womb. Mm-hmm. And now those hands that they formed are piercing his. Man, if there was ever a person who could have ever been bitter, mm-hmm. it would have been Jesus. Every right in the world to be bitter. And yet, he says from that position, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to remember that Again, God is always at work, but Satan is always at work. And one of the things that Satan is at work at over time is blinding people to the truth. Right. And we can get bitter if we want to, Mm. but the reality is that people are acting that way because they're blinded by Satan. And Paul's so straightforward about this, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. We wrestle against the prince of this present darkness. And... Uh, if we're going to get bitter, we might as well get bitter towards Satan. And, <laughs> yep. and uh, we have, you know, at some point we have to decide if Jesus was actually who he said he was. And it is a sad day when your friends become your enemies, but we're still called to love them. Mm. Well, Jeff, that's, that's just such, such a good word. I just, I really appreciate your perspective on it. I appreciate your honesty on it. And um, yeah, I just, I can't thank you enough just for sharing that. And I really think it's going to help someone because I know in different seasons of life, you know, we obviously all face that where we're confronted with something happening to us that we don't want to hang on to it. We don't want to be better. We do have to kind of let it go but more than anything we have to trust God and know that he's good on the throne and he's so got us so yeah so just thank you so much for sharing that and I just appreciate you being on here with me today hey guys if you like this episode I hope you'll consider subscribing to the fruitful life podcast on iTunes sharing it with your friends and showing it some love on social media For a newbie show like mine, those reviews are everything. Thank you so much for tuning in. To stay in touch with all things Fruitful Life, you can check out lifeasalowen.com or follow me on Instagram, lifeasalowen.com.